Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And what I um, am so grateful for uh, that Scott has done and as you look in the back of the wall, is he's really captured in sort of these contemporary icons, the practices that we are hoping to walk in. And uh, I like the language of benediction wall because you're leaving, so you can look at it on the way out. So this is probably one of the first Memorial Day weekends I can remember that has been so nice. And you made it here. Usually we sit and mock people that are camping in the rain <laughs> but this, this weekend's super sweet. Today is Ascension Sunday, which may not mean a whole lot to a lot of you. We, are, uh, we follow the church calendar here, if you're new. And today, I want us to look at basically the doctrine of Ascension, which probably sounds like you should just go to sleep right now. But, but it is extremely uh, comforting, hopeful and important to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And so I want to start in the book of Acts chapter one, and I want us to wrestle with this question, like what difference does it make that Jesus ascended back into heaven after he rose from the grave? All right. And so look with me, Acts chapter one, verse four, and it says this, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So as Jesus rises from the dead, he spends time with the disciples and then they go up to this mountain and he ascends away from them in back to heaven. And the reason that this matters is because what has happened in that moment is the undoing and restoration of the entire Bible. See, the Bible begins in the Garden of Eden, as most of you know, and God and men and women, humanity, they are walking together in intimacy. And God has, has tasked them or put them in a place of dominion where they are to rule and steward the earth. 
And as sin comes into the world and deception comes and they desire autonomy from God, they basically are kicked out of the garden. There is a a demonic, satanic sort of usurping, taking away that dominion from men and women. And so the world begins to be chaotic and reality spins away, ever away from God. But the whole theme of the Bible is how are we going to restore what's been lost? And so you see this, this picture of ascending and descending through the whole Bible. So when you get to Genesis 10, humanity starts building this tower to ascend back to heaven and then they're dispersed. When God meets them in Egypt, Moses ascends to the mountain. He gets the 10 commandments and then they descend back into the desert. When they leave the desert, they ascend into the promised land. And then they descend sort of back into exile. And then Christ comes and he descends to where we are. And then he ascends up to Mount Calvary where he's crucified and he descends down into the grave. And then he ascends in the resurrection and eventually up to the Mount of Olives and he ascends once and for all. And as he does, what he has done is he's restored what was lost in the book of Genesis. That God and man are together again. That there is a human being in heaven with the Father as we speak. It is not just some fanciful uh, mythological faith that you have bought into, but if you are a follower of Christ, then he is the first fruits of what he has promised. And as he sits by the Father's side today, it is our guarantee, our assurance, our security that he will take us to be with him. They're already is a glorified human being for which, who has conquered sin and death and who is united with the Father. Eden has been restored. The crucified Christ of history is now also the exalted Christ. Holding those two together means that in his humility and his grace that he exemplified as he walked on earth, as he died for our sins, as he prayed, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. He is that one and the same Christ as the exalted one in heaven, which means he now at the Father's side can offer that grace to you. There's so many ramifications of what this means, but I want us to look at a few today that in my mind are high points for us. And that should reorganize and rearrange the way we think about who Christ is and how we relate to him in our love for him. So look with me at uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter one, verse 18. Ephesians one, verse 18. The Apostle Paul is sharing this prayer for the church in this city called Ephesus. 
And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. If you read through the New Testament, you will see this doctrine of the ascension, the reality that Christ has risen and ascended back to the Father and is seated with it. You will see it throughout the entire New Testament. But it's almost like we, we've missed it for all these years. What Paul is saying in his prayer here to the church of Ephesus is that Jesus' ascension essentially enthroned him as king over all things, right? Giving him ultimate universal authority. Because he is now reigning, he's redefining the reality of the cosmos under this victorious reign. He is seated, that word seated is a sign of authority. That he has done his work, he has finished his work, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's reigning, meaning all other authorities have been placed underneath his supreme authority. And as he reigns, everything is basically under him so that he can rule and sustain. Otherwhere, elsewhere in Colossians, we hear that he, he sustains all things. And so the resurrection of Christ is not just a historical event that we look back on, but it leads to the ascension of Christ, which is the final enthronement where not only are God and man together again, but Jesus is reigning as king over all things. He is triumphant, and yet it, he, he's clearly opposed. We look out at the world today and we go, really? This is him reigning? The victory was accomplished at Calvary and as he resurrected, now people can come to him. He's head over everything and he has this body of people called the church, but there is still this time before, between victory day and the day that that victory is fully consummated. And in this in-between time, the enemy is gonna take out everyone and everything that he can. The rule of Christ is opposed, but it's opposed by one who has been defeated and will finally be destroyed. And so yes, there is a world that does not want to surrender and submit to the reign of Christ. There is actual evil in the world. 
It is not just people were not nurtured the right way or that there is not enough sort of human consciousness. It's there is actual evil in the world that is opposed to Christ and wants to steal and kill and destroy. And we see this every day. But the hope is that he will once and for all defeat that enemy. And that greatest enemy is death, which he has already defeated. And so even now as he has ascended, he sends his spirit into his people, his church, so that we might submit to him, surrender to him, yield to him so that his life can reign through us. And so because Jesus has redefined reality with his ascension, the question that all of us have to face is we must decide what will we do with Jesus Christ? He is not just an idea. Christ is before us through the cross and resurrection. He is behind us through his incarnation, and he is present now in his reign. And so when the question is asked to you and to me, what will you do with Jesus? It might as well be the same exact question that's asked to Pontius Pilate the night before he's crucified because Christ is really present, existing, and reigning. And that's the question all of us have to deal with. What will we do with the King of Kings who right now is reigning? The second piece or aspect of this is in the book of Ephesians, just into the next chapter. And listen to what he says in chapter two, verses four through seven. Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What Paul captures here is that the Christ who walked on earth, full of mercy and grace and selfless love, is the same Christ who reigns as king over all things. And so because of that, he brings us with him, united with him. If you remember from last week, we talked about the union that we have with Christ. Because he has given us his spirit and made himself one with us, then we are seated with him in heavenly places. That he wants to show, wants to reveal, wants you to taste the incomparable incomprehensible, incomparable riches of what it means to be loved by the eternal king of the universe. When Jesus became a baby in the manger 
through the womb of Mary, God and humanity were united, not just for a season, but for forever. And what happened is that he came to the place where we are. He walked in a world where people were killed, murdered, people died of sickness and starvation. But he came to be where we are so that he could take us to where he is. He tells this plainly to the disciples in John's gospel that I'm going to the Father to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be with me also. The Apostle Paul is saying here in Ephesians that you are seated with him because you are united with him, that God crossed this barrier and this divide between us and him. And he crosses it into our existence so that through this union, he returns us to the Father's side. He takes us with him first by bringing us his spirit and once and for all face to face through the resurrection from the dead. The ascension of Jesus is the security of that promise. Paul is saying that because he is seated with the father, that means you and I are seated with him. We belong to him. And there's one more aspect that I want us to look, look at in the book of Hebrews chapter seven. And I find this one to be one of the most comforting aspects of the ascension of Christ. In Hebrews chapter seven, verses 23 through 25, it says this, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in the office but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. If being seated at the right hand of the Father is his kingly sort of function, there's another one, and that is the function of priest. Priest meaning that as Christ reigns in heaven, he reigns as the one who goes to bat for us as a priest who will live forever. That he mediates our relationship from God to us and from us to God. Now why is this important? It's important because he is working, he's ministering right now, this very hour for your salvation. That he's interceding for you, he's praying to the Father so that he can completely and finally save us. And for those of you who are going, I don't know if I have what it takes, trust me, he knows, right? He knows I don't, but he does. And that's why in those times where you are the weakest, in the moments where life is the darkest, where you feel like you have nothing left, you somehow survive them because you have a priest who sees you and knows you and who is with you by his spirit but is praying for you so that he can finish 
that good work he started so many years ago. And so the ascension of Christ does so many things. It, it brings us to the place where we started in the Garden of Eden and it brings us into an actual experience of that. It brings Christ to the place where he reigns universally, redefines reality. And in his grace and mercy, he takes us where he is. But in this present moment, he serves you as your priest forever. Now, there's a whole bunch of things that I think are extremely important that are outcomes of this. The first, to me, is assurance. If Jesus is your priest and he's praying and ministering, and, and the book of Hebrews is very specific, the reason why he's doing that is to completely save you. That it means that what you can be comforted in is that you will make it. You will end well, not because of you, but because of him. And as you surrender and trust your great high priest, and he continues to pray so that you will be completely saved. That means once and for all in heaven, but it also means here and now that you will continue to grow more and more into his image. As a parent, this verse I find incredibly comforting. When, when your kids hit around 17 or 18, you are, um, you're pretty much out of control. You've always been out of control, but you were able to do things to make yourself feel better. <laughs> but now you can't, right? And I have gone to bed at night just, just fearful, right? Like, God, I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I did this right. I, don't, I know I, I can screw them up, like I'm sure of that. And, and what kind of security do I have? I trust them, but I also know they're young, and I don't always trust their wisdom, and I don't always trust them, right? <laughs> But, it, but then I think that Jesus, right now, in that moment, is praying for them so he can completely save them. Right? That, that lets me go to bed, honestly. And I realize in that moment that I, I have this tendency to trust myself for my kid's salvation which is such a bummer if they grow up thinking I saved them because I will disappoint them. I can be a decent dad, but I'm a really cruddy savior. And how many times do we come to the place where we realize we're not trusting God with our kids? And this is that invitation whether it's your kid or your parents or somebody that you love that is, is wandered off to be able to know and join Jesus as he prays for them. But to trust ultimately and finally that Jesus is the one that is praying for them right now. And he's praying so that he'll completely save them. 
The other aspect that you should be able to at least touch, feel, experience is a sense of peace. Because you are in Christ right now. That he is seated and enthroned. And there is so much striving that I think we go through to try to make our life the way we want it. To try to avoid any kind of mishap or pain. And we, and, we, and we fail to rest in the fact that Christ rules over all of it. And that we can trust him. That the same Christ who loved you enough to die on the cross for you, who in, your mercy, in his mercy while we were still sinning, he's dying for us, is the same Christ who has all power and authority and he still loves you with that same love. So you can rest knowing that he has you. I also think of security along that lines. That if he is above all and that he reigns over our enemies, if he has all power and authority, then I, I need to ask myself, what, what would I live like? How would I uh, go through life if I had everything I needed? Because you do. You do. You have Christ. And Christ has everything. And so how, how much striving do you do to try to get yourself to a place of security, whether it's enough money or enough time or enough whatever, rather than standing today in the security that Christ is enthroned and you are in him, that you have everything you need today. And the final one, in my estimation, is hope. That as he has promised to take us to be with him in the Father's house, that that is already coming true today. That when Jesus ascends and sends his spirit into our hearts, that he brings the future into the present. That the experience of being with God face to face that is one day going to be ours is actually here now. That you can experience his peace and his love and his joy. That you can experience the Holy Spirit's presence within us, that the future has broken in through Christ. And if you are a follower of his, then he has given you his spirit and he has gifted you to walk in the fullness of faith with him, which should bring you a lot of hope. Because if you have ever tasted God's love, if you have ever sensed his compassion, if you have ever relied upon his grace and experienced his strength and comfort, that is all just a foreshadow of what's coming to be fully yours. So you have great hope today that even those best moments with God 
are just a taste of all the moments that are coming to you. As we come to this table this morning, a table of bread and wine, Christ, Christ is here in the elements. And, and sometimes when I think of the sacraments, like communion, I think he gave it to us because he knows that theology gets a little heady, right? That sometimes it's difficult to wrap our mind around all of this. And so he brings it down to something as simple as a meal. And the meal is, this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood shed for you. And as you eat it, you participate in his life. But it's also a meal that has a promise attached to it. Because he says, I won't drink this again until I come with my father's kingdom. It's a meal that anticipated that he would ascend to heaven and be enthroned, seated next to the Father, but that he would also descend again to once and for all conquer his enemies. And as we come to this table today, we come to eat the body and blood of the ascended Christ, not just a sacrifice for sin, but our immediate and present hope for today. That the one we remember at the table is the one who is praying for you right now to completely save you. And that's the one that we worship in his name. Would you pray with me? Father God, today as we come to this table, as we come into this room, as we come to these doors to pray, God, we come as people who are in desperate need of you, Jesus, our great high priest. We need you to completely save us. We come to you, Jesus, today, and we need you as our king the one who reigns in heaven and who has taken us with him and seated us with him in Christ. As we come to this table today, God, we realize how dependent we are that you are the God who descended to us so that you could take us to where you are. As we come to this table today, we realize how fickle our faith is how many times we trust in ourselves, how many times that we find security in stuff, how many times that we don't rest but strive. And so Jesus, as we come to you today, we come to you as the one who is enthroned, reigning over all of our sin, our weakness, our fears, our brokenness, we come to you as our great high priest who gently convicts us and heals us and forgives us. And we come to you banking everything on the fact that you're the one that's gonna completely save us. So we need you today. And I pray that Holy Spirit, as you pose the question to us, what will we do with Jesus Christ? 
the one who is before all things and in all things and in whom all things hold together. I pray, Holy Spirit, you will lead us to be able to confess with our mouths we will trust in Jesus Christ to be our priest and our king and our savior today and forevermore. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.